Hello, sports fans, and welcome to Let Me Speak, the show that shares sports' biggest headlines explained, uninterrupted, and maybe a little audacious. I'm Joe Braverman, and today's topics we'll be discussing are Entering the final month of the regular season, the teams to keep an eye on in the MLB playoff chase. Plus, ahead of week one of the college football season, can anyone challenge Alabama? And advice for fantasy football owners with a special guest. It's episode 38 of Let Me Speak, and it starts right now. What is up, everybody? Happy September here on Thursday, September 2nd, 2021, the 38th episode of Let Me Speak. Thank you very much for listening to us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, or if you're watching us on YouTube, thank you for tuning in. It's been a very eventful week, I gotta say, at least for me personally. I mean, we've got more rain coming through with Ida. Hope everyone, by the way, down in New Orleans and the Louisiana coast, Hope everyone is safe there, and hopefully they're recovering well because, you know, 16 years to the day that Katrina hit, Ida comes right behind. That was it. That was just very odd and very weird, and, you know, that, that was a bad thing, but a good thing that happened, I gotta say, is a very fun little interaction I had, um, which I want to tell briefly before we get into the show Uh, I have a part-time job at a restaurant and bar in South Boston, and it turned out this past Sunday night, there was a famous celebrity in there that goes by the name of Julian Edelman. Edelman was in there, and I was just doing my thing, and as he was leaving, he looks at me in the eyes, and we shake hands. He said, thank you, and I said, thank you for coming in, so just a little surreal moment to get to see Julian Edelman and even have a little bit of an interaction, so Edelman, I know there's a very, very, very tiny chance that you're listening or watching right now, but if you are, just know that meeting you at Lincoln was very fun. But enough about what's going on off the field. Let's get on to field stuff and talk about the MLB to kick off our show because, believe it or not, we've got one month to go before the playoffs kick in in baseball. It is one month from tomorrow that the last day of the regular season will be. Sunday, October 3rd is the last day for pretty much every single team. And I just want to look some at some teams to really pay attention to. You know, you have your obvious ones. Like I talked about the Yankees last week. And you have the Red Sox, the Dodgers, the Giants, the Padres. All those teams that we've been talking about for the past couple of months. But I really want to focus on... A few teams that maybe have flown under the radar and who really should be paying attention to. And the first one I want to talk about is the other New York team going on, and that's the New York Mets. Because let's be honest, they have been a disaster, an absolute disaster since acquiring Javi Baez. And I was high on that trade. I was totally high on that trade that I thought Javi Baez was going to make the difference. You know, I understand he hadn't been hitting well during his time with the Cubs, But I would have thought a change of scenery or something like that, having a good offense around him, would have helped it. 
would have helped this Mets team. But no, they were 9-19 and in the month of August. And the team batting average was 231. 231. So that offense hasn't done anything at all. But, you know, fortunately, they're only, and I say only, five games behind the Braves. So it just takes a good week or two for them to get right back into it. But they have struggled Absolutely. Been on the struggle bus for the entire month of August. I mean, Bias, since his uh, first game with the Mets, he's only hitting 213, three homers, five RBIs, 21 strikeouts. That is not something you expect from a one of the biggest trade acquisitions during the trade deadline this year. All right. That's not what you were looking for at all. And you have your regular guys who are just continuing to struggle. Like I said, the team was 231, but you got guys like Pilar hitting 189, McNeil hitting 187, Conforto 268, Smith 207. I mean, their own owner has criticized them for not performing well, which to me, I get it because this is a team with Francisco Lindor, Pete Alonso, so many weapons, not only in the lineup, but also in the pitching staff, even if you take out Jacob deGrom, which we'll get into that very shortly. But for the owner to come out and say that, I mean, there's a lot of 50-50 with that. You know, if that came from a fan or any kind of like legend who used to play for the Mets, then it would make sense. But this is the owner. This is the owner saying, we put this team together for you. Why are you players not performing? And it got so much... To a sense that, you know, Baez and Lindor did the whole thumbs down to the fans because they were booing. Because, let's face it, no one is more critical of a fan base than New York. You know, if you have one bad game, they'll boo you out of the building. They'll boo you out of the building. And to see the owner basically become a fan, I don't think that's a really professional kind of thing. Now, I will say, Lindor... And Baez took the high road. They apologized. They owned up to it that they weren't performing well. And sure enough, you know, they had the big walk-off victory a few days ago. But still, this is an owner who hired a general manager who was then fired. That was Porter. We know the story with him. And now their temporary GM is in trouble for getting arrested for a DUI. So I don't know if this owner is very smart to be making the comments at this time because it's going to come full full circle, similar to the other New York team that's kind of a mess, and that's the Knicks with their owner and turning the, the blame around on the players. But aside from that, I think you have to watch this team because they are they are behind by five games, so it's still within reach to get that division lead. The problem is, though, is that the pitching rotation can't pick up the slack because Jacob deGrom, gone. He's not coming back. I mean, that's a once-in-a-lifetime pitcher. You know, he had an ERA less than one for a good portion of the season. And if you have guys like Marcus Stroman, Carlos Carrasco, I don't think all of them collectively are going to pick up the kind of slack that deGrom once had because... You know, I understand DeGrom wasn't getting the run support when he was playing, but he's still a better option as a starter if you even make like the wild card or something like that, which no team in the NL East is going to make. Let's just point that out there. You would much rather have DeGrom in that rotation because I ultimately said that DeGrom in that rotation, this Mets team is a playoff team. 
But now that he's not, I don't know if they're going to be able to make it, especially sitting in third place. You know, it's basically division or bust because if you don't win the division, you don't make the playoffs. That's basically the scenario that we're looking at right now for the New York Mets. So keep an eye on the New York Mets just to see if any more dysfunction happens or if they finally correct themselves and maybe get a little kick in their rear from their owner and finally start playing well and Javi Baez actually starts hitting the ball well. But staying in the NL East, I think the Philadelphia Phillies are another team to really watch for because when you look at the wild card race, they're not that far behind. I did say when I talked about the wild card in the past, I said that it would come down to Cincinnati and San Diego. But lo and behold, that the Phillies are only two and a half games behind the Reds right now for that second wild card spot. And I did say the Reds are a very good team and that they should not be underestimated. But even if they go into a little bit of a slide, and we've seen the Padres, they haven't been able to correct themselves either. The Phillies could just slide into that back door for the wild card spot. It's only two and a half games, and they have a favorable schedule coming up. You know, when you look at their schedule for the rest of the season, you would say that the beginning of next week in Milwaukee and the end of the month in Atlanta would probably be the hardest series that they have. They've got series against the Mets, the Nationals, the Marlins. That's a very easy schedule. And especially with the pitching getting as good as it is, that was the ultimate question for this Phillies team. They got the big acquisition in Kyle Gibson, and he has been leading the charge of pitchers behind Zach Wheeler, because Zach Wheeler's been great all year long. 11-9, 3.01ERA. Okay? They've gotten better starting with Gibson. Since his acquisition from Texas. He's 4-2 and two with a 3.16 ERA. That is the ultimate number two starter that you want for this Phillies team. And not only that, but when you look at the bullpen, what they did in the month of August, especially Hector Neris. He has been amazing in the bullpen. One earned run, 21 strikeouts, 0.61 ERA in 14 and two-thirds innings. Okay? We have seen in the past, if you have good pitching and you have good bullpen, you will go for a deep postseason run. So if the Phillies can sneak in there, they might be able to make some noise if they can get out of the wild card game. The only problem I see, though, is that their leading home run hitter is out with an abdominal tear. Reese Hoskins not coming back for the rest of the year. So that's going to hurt, definitely. But you still have weapons like Segur, like Bryce Harper, like McCutcheon. All those guys. Real Muto. These guys have the weapons. So keep your eyes on the Phillies because they could be the quiet team that no one talks about if San Diego and if Cincinnati continue to struggle. But then the final team I would say to keep close eyes on during this last month are the Houston Astros because I think they're going to use this month to get all eyes back on them because let's face it. Everyone's talked about it, like I mentioned in the beginning. The Yankees, the Tampa Bay Rays, the White Sox, the Dodgers, Padres, all these teams who have been making headlines, and rightfully so. And, uh, you know, part of it is the cheating scandal. This is the first time that the Astros have been in front of fans for a full season since that scandal. So, obviously, that gets overshadowed. But 
this is a World Series team. This was a World Series team from a few short years ago, and they've shown after the years that their scandal finally got brought to light, they're still a pretty good team. I mean, they're 78 and 55. They have a they're the second best team in the American League. They've got a five-game lead over the Athletics in the division. So I think they might use this month to really send a message to the MLB saying, we don't need trash cans or buzzers or anything like that to be a really good team because they've got a fairly easy schedule the rest of the way. Probably, I would say, the toughest series that they have left is a home series at the end of the month against the Rays because that will ultimately show who's maybe the best team in the American League because right now, to me, Tampa is the best, followed by Houston, followed by Chicago. But I think what really helps is that Alex Bregman has come back from injury, and I think he really bolsters this lineup because you just look at the different pieces that this lineup has for Houston. You know, you have your regular names like Jose Altuve and Carlos Correa. They're doing great. Altuve, 272, 25 homers, 68 RBIs. And then Correa right behind him, 277, 20 homers, 69 RBIs. But then you've got these other guys like Michael Brantley. He's a 315 batting average, which leads the team. And Lurie Guriel, excuse me, Lurie, I'm going to get that name right. Yuli Gurriel, 313 batting average, but they're in the single digits for home runs. So every kind of batter knows what's going on there. You know, you have your power hitters, Altuve, Correa. You've got your regular base hitters, Brantley, Gurriel. You've got Tucker. You have Maldonado. All these guys who can play small ball, and when they need the power, they go to their regulars. But of course, you need pitching. And I think, arguably... This might be the best rotation in the American League. I still think Chicago kind of has that edge. I think the White Sox have the better pitching, but this would be a close second. Obviously, you've got Zach Granke, Lance McCullers Jr., Luis Garcia, Fran Valdez. They all have a ERA, which is fairly good. I mean, Granke's got the 3.66 ERA, but everyone else, McCullers 3.20, Garcia 3.23, Valdez 2.91, okay? And I think Valdez and Garcia, you know, everyone talks about, you know, what's this team going to be like without Justin Verlander? Because remember, they had like Granky, Verlander, Keiko. I think they were all on the same roster a few years ago. Now Granky is your ace. He's 11 and 5. McCullers is 10 and 4. Luis Garcia, 10 and 6. But Framber Valdez, 17 starts with this team. 11 of them have been quality starts. And he's 9 and 4. With that 291 ERA. So this rotation could do some damage in the American League. So keep your eyes out again on Tampa because they've got a challenger. They've got a challenger in Houston. Houston is a team to watch for because they could use this last month to assert themselves once again as a dominant team in the American League. Remember, this was a team that went to the ALCS and got as far as the World Series. Three of the last four years. 17, they won it all. 18, they were knocked out by the Red Sox and the DS. Or, no, they got knocked out in the ALCS. And then they made the World Series in 19. Made it to the LCS in 2020. So, that's four years, four ALCSs, at least. So, this is still a team, regardless of cheating or not. And whether you're a fan of them or not, this is a good baseball team to really watch out for because if they separate themselves a lot of people are going to say 
and they might hate to say it, but the Astros are contenders in the American League to get back to the World Series. But the good thing about the last month of the baseball season is races will intensely pick up and the action is sure to be fast and furious to find out who makes the playoffs in the MLB. So up next, we're going to talk about some college football, and recently we've talked about all the scandals that's been going on off the field, but we got to talk about what's going on on the field, because the season finally is getting underway. I know technically there were a few games yesterday, or uh, last week, but we've got the majority of the teams getting started this weekend, and when you look at the preseason polls, you know, same old, same old. You have defending champs, Alabama. Ranked number one in not only the AP 25, but in the coaches poll as well. And your top five, it's a little bit different, but the AP 25, which is what everyone's going to go on mostly, has Alabama number one, followed by Oklahoma, Clemson, Ohio State, and Georgia. Now, the overarching question, basically, which you can do every year, is can there be a school Can there be a team that knocks off the Crimson Tide? And I thought, what better way to answer that question than with one of our favorite segments we like to call Hot Takes. Now to start, you have to look at Alabama itself. They did lose a ton of starters, especially on offense. They lost them to the draft. Mac Jones, Najee Harris, Devontae Smith the Heisman winner, and Jalen Waddle. okay? So Alabama did lose a lot, and there are going to be a lot of new faces. And it's kind of different. It, it's different in years past because Alabama, especially at the quarterback position, had guys who got into game action and then were able to take over just like that. You know, you, you think a few years ago with Jalen Hurts in that national title game to a tug of Iloa. He was able to come in during that national title game he drives them down for a championship. Then Tugavailoa, he goes all the way. He gets replaced when he gets hurt by Mac Jones. And Jones does great. And then Jones is that starter, but there was no one to back him up or get into the game. So this is going to be the first time in a little bit that Alabama, really, we, we have a lot of questions about them, about their players. Obviously, you can't doubt Nick Saban. I mean, he's arguably the greatest college football coach that's walking the planet right now, you know. You can't you can't doubt Alabama in any way until you actually see them on the field. They're they're kind of similar to, you know, today's Kansas City Chiefs or the Brooklyn Nets or stuff like that, where unless you beat them on the field, everyone's going to say that they are the favorite. The one favorite in the SEC though, I got to say, is might be Georgia. They probably have the best chance because they've got a great running back duo. They have Zamir White and Kendall Milton. If those two can split the time and be able to get Georgia some good offense down the field, they could see them in the SEC championship. They could even play them twice, come to think of it. Maybe three times, depending on what happens with the college football playoff. But then when you go to other conferences, you know, I think, me personally, I think the best team outside the SEC, 
that could challenge them is Ohio State. Because Ohio State, they've got a great program. They've been great for years now. And it just really doesn't feel like anyone else in the Big Ten can really make it a test. You know, you've got Michigan, who's fallen off. Wisconsin. I mean, you get Iowa. They usually have a good year every once in a while. Plus, my uncle knows the head coach, Kirk Ferentz. So that's a sentimental pick right there. And you also have, like, Michigan State, Penn State, you know, I don't know if Ohio State really has anyone that can make it a test. I don't know if the Big Ten is going to be all that hard for the Buckeyes to come through and come with the victory. So that would be my ba- the the best team. You know, looking at the other teams, I think in the ACC, Clemson, they're probably going to take a step back because this is the first time in a long time that they've got a new quarterback with Trevor Lawrence. You know, Trevor Lawrence did go number one. Not only that. But Travis Etienne, he also went to Jacksonville, so he's not there anymore. I mean, this defense is still fierce and should be feared, especially that D-line. But, I mean, Dabo Sweeney, this team just does not feel as powerful as they did in the past. You know, we got a glimpse briefly of DJ, I want to get this name right, DJ Wiangalule. You know, he's the new quarterback, and we did see him when Trevor Lawrence tested positive for COVID-19 last year. We got to see him in that, I believe it was the Notre Dame game. And he looked good, but when he's got the offense in his hands, when he's in control, what's going to happen? You know, I kind of compare it to Taysom Hill. You know, last year for New Orleans, he was that Swiss Army knife, and when he came in as quarterback, he shocked everyone, and he played great. But then when the attention was turned to him, to be that quarterback, he kind of faltered a little bit and opened the door for the other quarterback. In this case, um, Clemson has multiple quarterbacks. In the other case, New Orleans had Jameis Winston. So that's going to be the thing for DJ. I'm just going to call him DJ. That last name is, <laughs> you know, if I can if I can get Tugavailoa, you know, I'll be able to get this Wiangalole. There we go. Um, but <laughs> Clemson's going to be able. I I think they will take a step back. I think they'll take a step back. Do they win the ACC? I still favor them a little bit. But I got to say, North Carolina can make it a race. Can make it a race. I mean, you start with the early Heisman favorite, Sam Howell. I mean, I think North Carolina has been great recently in terms of quarterbacks. They had Mitch Trubisky a while back, and now they've got Sam Howell to lead the charge. Not only that, but you've got a great, experienced head coach in Mac Brown. So if Clemson doesn't win the ACC then I would put North Carolina right up there to falter them and upset them. I mean, Clemson does have pretty much an easy schedule in the ACC, but again, we don't know what this team is like post-Trevor Lawrence. I think their defense can win them some games, and I think they can still be you know, playoff contenders, but in terms of being sort of that intimidating presence, that they had with Trevor Lawrence, I don't think that's the case. I don't think that's what's going to happen. And I think Clemson, North Carolina, those two are going to meet in the ACC. And it's going to be one of those two. Because I don't really see Florida State. I don't see any other team in the ACC really making it a contest for Clemson. And then finally, I really wanted to dive into Oklahoma. Because obviously they're ranked number two. And they've got big expectations. I mean... I, I talked about Sam Howell for the Tar Heels being an early Heisman favorite. This might be the overall Heisman favorite with Spencer Rattler at quarterback. 
I mean, the, the here's here's where I struggle with the Sooners is that they've always got big expectations and they always seem to falter. You know, you've got teams with Baker Mayfield, teams with Jalen Hurts, you know, the, these kind of teams and they falter and they falter. I just I can't put all my money and my trust in Oklahoma. You know, they they're lucky to be in a conference like the Big 12 because I think they are the overarching favorites. I don't think Texas makes it a contest. I don't like Oklahoma State. You know, maybe TCU has another great year, but I don't think they're going to be the one to really challenge them. I mean, I do think Oklahoma probably at this moment might be the best team in that Big 12. But I, I don't know if I can see them go far. We've seen Big 12 teams struggle since the playoff era got underway when we started to see the four-team playoff come around. I just don't I don't see Oklahoma being as effective as everyone thinks they might be. You know, that that's just ultimately what I think. And plus, you've got a lot of teams who see Oklahoma and Texas going to the SEC. They're probably going to want to make a statement against them before they ultimately go to that new conference in 2025. So you've got all these schools who are thinking, we're going to play our best game against this team, against Oklahoma, and we're going to win and we're going to make a statement against them that we're going to send you out the doors losers. So that's something to really keep an eye on. But the overarching question, like I said, can anyone challenge Alabama? I say at this moment, no. No one can challenge Alabama right now. Again, we have to see it on the field. We have to see, you know, maybe you get a game like in the Iron Bowl with Auburn or LSU. Coach O gets his squad back to the top. You get Florida possibly. You know, I, I just don't think I see it. I don't see anyone knocking off Alabama until you see it on the field. I mean, you could do this every single year with the Crimson Tide, though, is basically say, who's going to challenge them? And then when you see it on, you know, you ask 9 out of 10 people at the beginning of the year, they'll say, oh, Alabama's the favorite, without a doubt. Without a doubt, Alabama. But until you see it on the field, you have to stick with the Crimson Tide. You have to stick with them. I don't think anyone challenges them in the SEC. I think they do get back to the playoff regardless of if they drop a game. I think if they do drop two games, then they're not going to make it. But again, Nick Saban, he's a well-disciplined coach, and he's going to get his guys into shape and get this Crimson Tide team back to the top of the college football mountain. So now we've got a special segment moving on. We're talking to all you fantasy football owners out there and go into some fantasy football. And I thought, who better than a very special guest, a former anchor at KITV4 Island News down in Honolulu, Hawaii. He's also a former Young Broadcasters of America alum. Please welcome to the show, TJ Horgan. TJ, welcome to the show. Forever a Young Broadcasters of America alum, Joe B. <laughs> I love it. Oh, always. Thank you for having me. Great day. Starting it off with some cold brew out here on the West Coast where we're living. It's fantasy draft season. Of course. And it's always a very exciting time. Now, before we get into the fantasy, I got to ask, because you started in Massachusetts, obviously. You spent, yep. I believe, two years in Hawaii. Now you're out on the West Coast. I think everyone who's from the New England area wants to know, what is the biggest difference out in Hawaii and in 
the West Coast out in California versus here in Massachusetts? It's a good it's a good question. I think the the biggest difference is I'm going to cop out here and say the weather. Um, you know, the out in Hawaii it was like between always between like high 70s and high 80s no matter what and humid with a breeze so if it got to 92 that was like an insanely hot day in Hawaii which people don't think about because it gets to the hundreds in New England and we're not really phased but in Hawaii if it got over 90 that's really really hot but on the same token if it got under 75 people start pulling out the winter jackets. It's hilarious. <laughs> it is so funny. And then on the West Coast here, the weather here is fantastic. I actually think the uh, Southern California weather is probably my favorite of the of the three we just mentioned here because you got the cooler at night, like 50s, 60s in the summer, 70s, cool, dry at night. And then during the day, it gets hot uh, when you need it to be. But I, I don't know. The way I've been, I've been fortunate enough to be in good weather and Hey, the Massachusetts fall, nothing beats it, man. Absolutely. You get all down here. You get all kinds of weather out there. You just get sun and occasional rain from time to time. <laughs> um, but so now we got to talk into fantasy football. And I thought you're the perfect guest because uh, for those of you who follow you on social media, Twitter and TikTok, we'll put some handles down below, but you've recently been posting some videos offering your fantasy football advice. What kind of uh, inspired you to start making those videos? Well, I've been seeing them everywhere on TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, and I've been this fantasy football junkie since I was 10 years old. And I was, you know, I'm like, you know what? Who knows? Maybe my opinion's are terrible. Maybe they're dumb. Maybe people won't agree with them, but I'm going to put them out there because I feel like I have solid grounding of those opinions with regards to fantasy football. You know, we, we did young broadcasters of America together. You know, I could debate a brick wall if I needed to. So I feel like I can, I can back up my opinions fairly well. And um, you know, I've been successful in, in most of the fantasy football leagues I've played. My friends kind of know me as the guy who's better than them at fantasy football, though they'll never admit it. Um, so, you know, I figured why not just start posting them, see if people can get value from it. But the bottom line is fantasy football's fun, man. We, we love football. Football brings people together and fantasy football uh, encapsulates that. So the more joy and fun we can spread, then the better. Well, then let's just spread some joy right now. Let's get into a little bit of debate and just talk about, we'll go position by position. And obviously the biggest position is the quarterback position. What's sort of your strategy? Are you someone who tries to go for that high-end quarterback, you know, like a Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen early on, or do you kind of wait for the bottom tier to get uh, later on, like maybe second, third round to grab someone who's sort of in the middle of the pack? Well, you say the most important position is quarterback, and that's probably true in actual football. But fantasy football, this is one of those disconnects where in a standard league, you're looking at 10, 12 teams, a point per reception. The quarterbacks actually aren't as valuable as a great running back or a great receiver or even an elite tight end because the difference in points between like quarterback one, two, or three, like who is the highest scoring quarterback at the end of the year, the difference in points per game between them and a middle of the road quarterback, maybe like quarterback 12, 13, 14 is not that high. I mean, there are arguments that quarterback uh, should, the value should be boosted up to mimic, to mirror actual football, 
But in the fantasy world, a quarterback isn't traditionally as valuable as a good running back, which is why you see the first round filled up with running backs flying off the board. Uh, my strategy in a standard league, you have one quarterback PPR. I'm seeing if one of the big four falls and the big four this year are Patrick Mahomes, Kyler Murray, Josh Allen, and Lamar Jackson, uh, not in that order, but I'm seeing if one of them falls to me, they all have the rushing baseline and the rushing baseline is they get rushing touchdowns. They're going to be able to scramble into the end zone from the 10 yard line if they need to. Uh, so I'm seeing if one of them falls to me, if, if I can get one of those guys in the sixth, seventh round, I'm taking it all day, every day. But if they go off the board quick, I am not sweating it. I'm waiting until the end of the draft to pick up two quarterbacks who I can just play the matchup each week. Yeah, I always think having that rushing quarterback is so uh, valuable, especially when you're playing fantasy, because not only do you have the passing yards, the passing touchdowns, you get that running effect. That just gives you an extra five or so points, you know, however many it may be for how they run on the ground. You look at maybe a guy like Cam Newton. Yeah, he can't throw the ball, but he runs so effectively. But then you've got a guy like, as you said, Kyler Murray, Patrick Holmes, that kind of tier that is able to incorporate that rushing into such a great throwing arm. But the, the next thing I want to ask, you did rank those four. This year was Murray Mahomes, uh, I believe, uh, Jackson. And, and Josh Allen. Yeah. Josh Allen, yes. Um, outside of those four, who's maybe a quarterback you really wanted or you're keeping your eyes on? And maybe someone who's kind of like a must avoid, must not draft. Good questions. Um, to me, everything's about value. So there's nobody who's off my draft board entirely. Uh, generally, the quarterback who I'm, I don't find myself taking much of is Dak Prescott and Aaron Rodgers. And that's because of where they're going in drafts. They're going in the middle of the draft where I'm usually picking up those mid-round running backs. So they're going between rounds like six and 10. And I'm not really touching a quarterback there. I They're they're good real life quarterbacks, but I'm in those rounds. I'm looking to fill up my bench. I'm looking to fill up my flex positions. Maybe, maybe a, a good tight end falls like a TJ Hawkinson or a Kyle Pitts. I'm not really looking at a quarterback there in terms of quarterbacks. I'm targeting guys who I have in many leagues so far this year. We mentioned the rushing baseline, Jalen hurts of the Philadelphia Eagles. If he can even string together a mediocre passing season, I think he's going to have a phenomenal year fantasy-wise because of that rushing baseline. He's he's an incredible runner. Um, another one is Matt Ryan. A little bit of a homerism here, but I just uh, tweeted this out. I think Matt Ryan's being way too underdrafted. He's going off the board as like the quarterback 15 or later. And here's my, my basis on Matt Ryan. The combo of Hurts and Ryan I have in so many leagues already. Um, it's because if the Falcons are good, it starts and ends with Matt Ryan. There's no running back who's going to eat into that. I mean, Mike Davis is going to be solid, I think. But if the Falcons are good, it starts and ends with Matt Ryan. If the Falcons are bad, they're going to be throwing the ball because they're going to be losing games. So Matt Ryan's still getting points. I think Matt Ryan has such a high floor. I think his worst case scenario is so high that you have to draft Matt Ryan. Yeah, of course, you have to go with the Falcons. I mean, I've heard it for years and years all about your Falcons, and I won't say anything about 28 to 3. Just keep that in mind. Thanks, Joe. Oh, you won't say anything about it. Okay. <laughs> I will not. Appreciate I will not. Appreciate being so courteous. I'll be respectful of that, but I agree on Matt Ryan. I do think he's undervalued, and this was a guy, you know, he was the MVP not too long ago, and I just think the, the downside might be is that he doesn't have Julio Jones, but you replace that with Kyle Pitts, someone who's 
uh, a really different tight a really different tight end i know he's a rookie but like people are comparing him to like travis kelsey or rob gronkowski he might not be them right now but in terms of size and athleticism that could be someone who replaces uh julio jones and then you get calvin ridley as your number one they've got as you said great running backs out of the backfield i think matt ryan is definitely someone to really keep an eye out for like you said but you did mention Mike Davis as a running back, and that's a good transition into the running backs. I think, you know, we see it in draft strategies all the time. You get your running backs early and often. And the big question this year, TJ, is about Christian McCaffrey. A lot of people and a lot of rankings have him number one or near number one after that injury plague season. Do you agree that McCaffrey should be ranked as high as he is? Yeah, I think so. In my home league, the league that I've been in the longest, which is a half point per reception league, 10 teams, I have the first pick and I think I'm going to go McCaffrey. That draft is next Sunday. Um, he's just, I mean, he is just so good. And in the, there's, I don't, I haven't done the math, but there's a lot of, um, you know, intelligent fantasy football minds out there who would tell you that a target is worth much more than a rush right? Because in a target, you're usually getting a passing target in open space. You're able to do more with that. And Christian McCaffrey, like they have amazing receivers. He could lead them in receptions. Like he is, you're, you're getting when he is on the field, he's an electric playmaker. He is locked into 20 touches a game. I don't care how good or bad the game is going for the Carolina Panthers. Christian McCaffrey is touching the ball 20 times a game minimum. Um, or else someone's making a huge mistake. But yeah, Christian McCaffrey is is it for me. I mean, I can see the, the, the issue. Some people, you know, they're worried about the injury. They're worried about maybe the offensive line. How good are the Panthers going to be? Um, but my question is, who are you going to take ahead of them? You're going to take Dalvin Cook? Maybe. I guess I get it. Um, you're going to take Alvin Kamara? Th- those, are, those concerns are just exaggerated with Alvin Kamara in terms of how good the team's going to be. I still think Kamara is the third pick for me, but um, yeah, no McCaffrey is, is number one with a bullet. In my, my opinion. Yeah. I think I totally agree that the injury is the only thing that's keeping him from, you know, maybe being the overall number one or some people questioning because he did only play like four games or four or six games, something like that last year. And especially with a new quarterback, like Sam Darnold, you'd think like he's, he's a guy who's going to probably, take the easy way out and just get into McCaffrey as much as he can just to get himself acquainted with that Panther system. But another running back I think falls into that line is Saquon Barkley. He's coming off the torn ACL. A lot of people are skeptic about him making even week one or drafting him. And yet there are some people who are ranking him fourth or fifth running back available. Is Barkley, is Saquon Barkley kind of a must avoid in your mind? Or if he falls to you, are you going to take him? The difference between Barkley's situation and McCaffrey's situation, in my opinion, is that Barkley's questionable for week one because we're close enough to that point. We're, you know, less than two weeks away. Barkley is questionable for week one. Christian McCaffrey is not. Christian McCaffrey is, unless he like re-injures himself, is playing. Uh, So yes, I'm letting Saquon Barkley fall in my draft boards. Yesterday, I took him actually uh, in a 10-team PPR. I was drafting... And they let Derrick Henry and Saquon Barkley fall to the 10th pick. So at the swing, Derrick Henry obviously doesn't catch the ball. So that's probably, you know, psyched some people out. But I will take the most talented running back in the NFL uh, at pick 10 any day of the week. So I went 
Derrick Henry and Saquon Barkley, and I am totally fine with that. If you can get Saquon at the end of the first round, beginning of the second round, do it. Um, his injury doesn't appear to be as serious to the point that I'm worried about him missing multiple weeks yet. I get it if you want to stay away from him, though. Like, if you really want to minimize all risk and just say, you know what, hands off and go, you know, Austin Eckler in the first and Joe Mixon in the second, I can't fault you for that. Those are two really good running backs, I think. Uh, but Saquon Barkley, when he's on the field, is McCaffrey-esque in that he catches passes. He is electric. Like, we haven't seen a running back in a long time in the way Saquon uh plays get, plays his game on the field. I mean, it's it's pretty awesome to see when he's out there healthy. And for the sake of the NFL, he needs to be healthy, right? The NFL's better when their studs are healthy. And, and Saquon's one of those guys. So there's actually some news today that I guess he's trending in the right direction for week one. Take it with a grain of salt. But, uh, you know, all reports are that he could play week one. So I like it. A torn ACL and a torn Achilles is something you really got to like raise an eyebrow at and kind of scratch your head and think. Until you see it on the field, you can't trust anyone who's coming off that kind of injury, especially with, you know, today's medicine and stuff like that. Recoveries go by quicker than normal. Regardless, that injury is very scary, especially for a guy like Saquon Barkley, who's so electric and has such a strong lower half of his body. I mean, have you seen his quads and his calves? Those things are insane well In mike those... davis mike davis is the new quad father i think it's it's between davis <laughs> aj dylan and saquon barkley who's got the better quads that's that's <laughs> what we're talking about you know staring down uh the barrel of our fantasy drafts we're talking about which running back has the best quads <laughs> if we're going on that strategy whoever does that uh, they're kind of screwed um but <laughs> staying with the running backs though i think probably the more important uh one of your recent videos talked about the rb3 and how important yeah that is you know who's maybe a running back that might not be the starter you know not the all-around number one like we just mm -hmm. talked about with like Zeke Elliott Kamara stuff like that who's maybe the running back that is sort of the backup or maybe the third option that you might want to really pay attention to uh in your upcoming fantasy draft now are you are you talking about RB3 in terms in terms of the RB3 on your fantasy team or are you talking about someone who is the backup on their own? Like a, like, a, like, a good, like a good backup. A good backup that could slide into a possible RB3, RB4 situation. Okay. And could, and could get you some points. Maybe even slide in a flex, possibly. Yeah, okay. I see what you're saying. I think point in case right there, and I think this guy's going a little too high, um, is Kareem Hunt. Obviously, if Nick Chubb weren't there, Kareem Hunt might be the RB1. I might be drafting Kareem Hunt first overall just like if Kareem Hunt were there I'd, I'd probably be drafting Nick Chubb first overall um but they're they're you know in terms and I think Hunt's going a little too early there there's just only a there are a finite amount of touches uh, and, and Hunt's going before starting running backs like Miles Gaskin on the Dolphins Mike Davis on the Falcons uh even I've seen him before like Gus Edwards on the Ravens now the J.K. Dobbins is injured don't be drafting Kareem Hunt before those guys um a backup NFL running back who I like this year is Tony Pollard on the Dallas Cowboys. I thought his draft position was going to shoot up over the offseason. It didn't really. He's kind of stagnated. You can get him in like the 10th round, 11th round of your drafts. And I think that's really good value because he's a good running back. And the Dallas Cowboys 
are a top five situation for any running back, really good offensive line, really good passing game. So defenses can't stack the box. If Ezekiel Elliott goes down, even for a game, right? They're playing 17 games this season. Zeke's been through the ringer. If he takes a game or two off, you slide Tony Pollard right in there and he's going to be a top 10 running back that week, most likely. Yeah, not only that, but you have this lingering shoulder issue for Prescott and then obviously coming off the devastating leg injury, he might be more tempted to hand the ball off. And I think, you know, Tony Pollard, he might not get the same carries as Elliott, but I think even last year, he still had a significant number of carries despite, you know, Elliott having that down year. Obviously, Zeke Elliott's number one regardless, but I do like that Tony Pollard. And I did think about him when I was drafting running backs. I definitely wanted to keep him on my radar. But moving on to positions, we have to talk about the wide receivers. And this one's a little bit scattered a little bit. You have your rankings, obviously. You have Stephon Diggs is up there. And you have guys like Michael Thomas, but now he's on the PUP. Who's maybe a wide receiver, TJ, that no one's really paying attention to that could explode for a monster year in terms of fantasy? I'm so glad you asked that. And full disclosure, we didn't talk about this beforehand. No, no prep at all. It's funny you're asking me this because I am like – People probably want to start wringing my neck because of the amount of times I'm saying the name Cortland Sutton. Cortland Sutton of the Denver Broncos. He was a rookie two years ago. He was catching passes from rookie Drew Locke. Not a good look. Drew Locke was not good two years ago. Cortland Sutton as a rookie still had a monster year. You take that into account. He was poised for his breakout year last season. Week one, injured out for the year. So, Downside, yeah, we didn't get to see the Cortland Sutton, but upside is he was injured week one. He's fully healthy now. He's ready to go. Uh, I mean, the dude's 6'4", I want to say maybe 220 pounds and fast. Like this guy can run routes. Like I'm not going to say he's the next Julio Jones. There's only one Julio Jones, but I think like best case scenario, he's Julio Jones. I mean, he is a beast. And right now you can get him. I want to say his his average draft position is like, I don't know, wide receiver, like 28 or something like that. Come on. I mean, I absolutely love Cortland Sutton's ceiling this year. Yeah. I think though, the one hesitant you might have with that is Jerry Judy. I think Judy, he had a, not a great year, kind of a solid year for Denver and he could have already like gave himself a role for Teddy Bridgewater. Let's let's also keep that in mind. It's a great pick because Teddy Bridgewater is probably the most accurate quarterback in terms of completion percentage. He will find his guy. So that's not a bad pick at all. But the question is how you balance it with like Jerry Judy or Noah Font at the tight end, something like that. How do you balance that out? Mouths to feed. I get it. And Judy is they're going around the same time, right? So that's a popular decision people are making is do you go Cortland Sutton or do you go Jerry Judy? I think they're both good, great receivers, but I'm going Cortland Sutton. I just think the ceiling is too high. Judy's like about 6'1", 190, elite, great route runner. When you want the, the bread and butter of fantasy, the touchdowns, I don't think there's, you know, 10 receivers better in the NFL than Cortland Sutton for a red zone target. The dude's a monster. I think in the red zone at the goal line, uh, he is going to be uh, as safe as they come. So I am very excited about the prospects of Sutton this year. Yeah, and we'll have to see if Denver makes any kind of improvements going from Drew Luck to Teddy Bridgewater. But the other big wide receiver news came in, coming out about Michael Thomas. He's placed on the PUP. He's going to be out for the first five games. They'll have uh, six weeks because week six is a bye. He'll be eligible for week seven. So do you think, TJ, that – 
for people who still haven't had their draft just yet, if Michael Thomas on that PUP and he's there available, would you still draft him? I'm not touching him. I'm not touching slant boy, man. I, I, he's just, there's a, cause they're in that whole contract, not a contract dispute, but like the saints were mad at him about getting surgery. And I, I think this could go south very quick. I see people drafting Michael Thomas thinking like, Oh, he's going to be back in five weeks and is going to catch, you know, 10 balls a game. Great. If he does, you prove me wrong. I will take the L I'll admit when I'm wrong, but I think it's just so likely this becomes a, a big thing. And he just, he just doesn't play for the saints ever again. I, I mean, yeah, I'm not drafting Michael Thomas. Maybe if he falls to me in like close to the last round, <clears throat> excuse me, but where he's going, I'm not touching him. So do you think that maybe opens the door possibly for like a Trey Quan Smith or any of those other Saints receivers to possibly pick them up? Someone's got to catch the ball, right? I mean, James Winston likes to heave it. So you got Trey Quan Smith and Marquez Callaway are the names everyone's talking about. They're both worth picks. I mean, Callaway's going significantly ahead of Smith, I believe now, because he had that great preseason showing. Um, I think both Smith and Callaway are worth draft picks. Uh, who else? You got Adam Troutman, who's now injured, the tight end. I was very high on him. But the sleeper everyone seems to be talking about, in, and this is a deep sleeper, is Juwan Johnson, the tight end in New Orleans. He's a former wide receiver, right? So automatically you hear former wide receiver turned tight end. Oh, Darren Waller, your ears perk up. <laughs> um, I mean, there's just, there, there's no one to catch the ball. I think if there's a situation where a guy like Juwan Johnson can come in and succeed, it's in New Orleans. So if you're in a 16 man league and you're looking for your second tight end and Juwan Johnson's still there, why not take a flyer? Yeah. And I know New Orleans has kind of had a tight end problem ever since Jimmy Graham. Really, that was the last good tight end they had. They had Jared Cook for a couple of years. They had the Ben Watson experiment. I know they've tried a bunch of guys. So if this guy can be a stable tight end for the Saints, you know, who knows? Maybe that takes the pressure off Kamara or it at least gets New Orleans some offensive points. But speaking of tight ends, that's the next position we look at. Who would you say, TJ, is the must target tight end, regardless of your position? Who should you at least consider drafting? Right now, for me, it's TJ Hawkinson of the Detroit Lions. Um, and it's not just because we share a first name. It's because <laughs> he has been, he was going a, he was going high to start the season, right? His ADP has fallen a little bit. There was like something going on with his AC joint in his shoulder, but he's going to be fine. He's going to play week one. He's now going behind Mark Andrews and behind Kyle Pitts in almost every format. I love TJ Hawkinson this year, man. I have so many shares of him. He he might catch every single touchdown for the Detroit Lions. I mean, their, their receiving group right now is Tyrell Williams, uh, Khalif Raymond, Amon Ra St. Brown, and like TJ Hawkinson. Like he obviously, TJ Hawkinson is going to be the guy. And then I think he's a better tight end. He's younger than Tyler Higby. And look what Jared Goff did with Tyler Higby. Jared Goff proved that he likes to throw to the tight end, especially in the red zone. Man, I am all over TJ Hawkinson. You know, obviously you got to predict Travis Kelsey's the number one tight end, but if Hawkinson, I would not be surprised if he's the number two in a PPR point per reception, he could catch, you know, 120 balls this year. And I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Jared Goff isn't someone to like totally slouch on. Yeah. He's not that number one pick that he all thought to be, but he's still a good quarterback. I think that you can rely on, but you have teams also that have their two tight end format. You have the Patriots who signed Hunter Henry and John Smith. 
you have the Tampa Bay Bucks who have Gronkowski, Brate, and a returning OJ Howard. Are any of those players worth taking a draft on, or are you kind of staying away from teams that have a two tight end format like that? It's a that's a really good question. And a popular pick late has been Gerald Everett of the Seahawks. I believe, don't quote me on this, I'll look it up right now. I believe they still have Will Disley. And I get he's more of a blocking tight end, but he has been, yeah, he's still in the Seahawks. He is a trusted target for Russell Wilson. So I am not high on Gerald Everett this year. The one situation where I'm liking a tight end uh, in a two tight end team generally would be New England. I mean, Jonu Smith clearly was the priority for the Patriots in the offseason. Hunter Henry came along. Jonu Smith was their guy. We've heard Bill Belichick say it in press conferences how much he likes Jonu Smith. And this is when he was still a Titan. Um, Jonu Smith's electric. And we really thought he was going to get a chance to show his stuff in Tennessee. He kind of did. He kind of caught on, got hurt a little bit. Um, I like Jonu Smith late. He's going as like the tight end 15. Yeah, I'd take him over Rob Gronkowski. Um, I'd take Jonu Smith probably over Mike Gesicki at this point of the Dolphins. I'm not a huge Dolphins guy for fantasy. Um, yeah, I like Jonu Smith this year for sure. Yeah, and I think what also helps is the Patriots naming Matt Jones their starter. Jones is more of a thrower than Cam Newton, where he can take those shots down the field that Newton wouldn't be able to. So I think that really helps Jonu Smith and Hunter Henry both with their value. I think the the beautiful thing about Mac Jones and it boosts the whole Patriots offense because Cam Newton would have taken some of those rushing touchdowns. If Cam Newton plays 17 games, he's going to have six to eight rushing touchdowns that other people don't have. Right. So those are now going to Jonu Smith, Damian Harris, James White, other players on the Patriots. Uh, so yeah, I agree with you there. Mac Jones boosts up Smith's value. Yeah. Even as a rookie, he's already getting tons of praise, but now we got to move on to the kicker position and this one gets a little tricky, TJ, because you have some guys who want to draft two, some who draft one. Let me just ask you in your personal standpoint, are you someone who has to have two kickers on your roster or do you wait until your first kicker has the bye and then get one in free agency? Pick them off the waiver. Yeah, no, I think I've only had two kickers on a team a couple times and it's not on purpose. Uh, I'm not taking the first kicker off the board. I'm waiting till the last round to take my kicker every single time. Um, and that's because you're taking your kicker in the last round. You can change them out each week based on who's doing well. And picture this, right? You have Harrison Butker, Justin Tucker. You can't drop them. When it's their bye week, you have to drop a player so you can roster two kickers. That's embarrassing. Imagine you have Ezekiel Elliott. Imagine dropping his backup, Tony Pollard, so you can pick up Jason Sanders because Harrison Butker's on a bye. Come on, man. Be better. Be better than that. Um, you know, if you find a kicker, the only situation where I'd have two kickers is if you get your kicker in the last round and he somehow is like the best kicker in the league. So for me, that's, there's a guy I'm looking at this year, Tyler Bass, and I'm never taking a kicker before the last round. But if I get Tyler Bass of the Buffalo Bills in the last round, I'm like, I'm liking it. I'm happy with myself because the Bills are going to be a high scoring offense. You like kickers and high scoring offenses. He was a rookie last year and phenomenal. I think his long was like 58 as a rookie. Tyler Bass is, is going to be the next great fantasy kicker. Mark that down. Tyler Bass from the Buffalo Bills, the next great kicker. And you ultimately just answered my next question is like, when, when is the time in your fantasy draft that you really started thinking about drafting a kicker? Do you wait till the last round? Do you maybe give it a few rounds, like maybe like seventh or eighth, something like that? 
When, when do you start thinking about getting a kicker? The reason you wait until the last round is similar to how I portrayed the quarterback position earlier. When, you, when it comes to the end of the year, and you, you can look at the numbers, the number one kicker at the end of the year on average averages you have 12 teams in your league. So let's compare the number one kicker to the worst starting kicker, the 12th kicker. The number one kicker averages about two more points per game than the 12th kicker. That is nothing. Two more points a game is nothing. You're not worried about a kicker. The top 12 are so close in how they finish. Um, yeah, don't touch kicker till the last round. Yeah, and that, that really opens it up because I, I know my strategy for a couple of years has been get a good kicker that's on a good offense. Is that kind of your strategy? Or do you kind of just go with, you know, you know, are you someone who's like, you know, Justin Tucker's been the greatest, let's go with him. Or if he's not there, you go to the later rounds, you look at like the better offenses out there, like a Pittsburgh who always has a good offense or a Cleveland that now has a good offense. You know, do you just rely on that to maybe just get some extra points? I am, again, I am not touching a kicker until the last round, no matter what. In zero scenarios, am I, unless it's like a kicker premium league, if, if like 50 yard field goals are worth like a hundred points, sure. Then I'll look at a kicker earlier, but <laughs> I am not taking a kicker until the last round for all the reasons I said, if a kicker, like if Tyler bat, like, cause ultimately you have to make an informed decision, right? So in the last round, you're choosing between probably 28 kickers, assuming Tucker and Butker and maybe a couple of young way coup are off the board. Um, I'm, I love Tyler Bass. If he's there in the last round, look at Tyler Bass. Um, the Rams kicker, Matt Gay. I think the Rams are going to have a great offense this year. Matt Gay is a good one. Uh, the Bucks kicker, Ryan Suckup. I think the Bucks offense is going to be fine. Yeah, I agree with you. Look at a high scoring offense, but week to week, I'm streaming them, right? If, if there's a game that's in just downpours and windy, I'm dropping my kicker, picking up a kicker in better weather. Um, it, it, like if, if I'm picking a kicker and he's, his team's expected to get blown out, I'm taking a different kicker. You want a kicker that's on a, a team that's likely going to win that week and will play in good weather. Yeah, that's definitely clearly the most expendable piece in, ter in terms of fantasy is the kicker position. Uh, and then finally, we go on to the defense. And this one is very interchangeable, kind of similar to the kicker. It's, it's week to week. But overall, TJ, who's your number one defense uh, in terms of rankings? I think my number one defense is probably going to be the Rams. Um, I, I, I love the pieces they have there. Jalen Ramsey and Aaron Donald, namely. I think they're in for a bounce back year. Uh, other defenses I like, the Bucs, uh, the 49ers, the Browns. But again, man, defenses, you can draft your defense. If you think there's going to be a defense that's just going to run the league, go ahead, have at it. But, but these are, these are situations where I want the defense that's playing a bad football team. So I'm switching my defense almost every week. So are you kind of managing it like the kicker standpoint where you take one and then maybe draft them off the waiver wire, or are you drafting two defenses in your fantasy draft? A hundred percent. I'm the, this I've drafted two defenses a couple times this year. And that's because uh, usually I pick the team that's going to have the worst record this year. That's going to be the Houston Texans, right? They're probably going to be terrible. Um, so I want every week, I want the team that's playing the Houston Texans as my defense. <laughs> I don't care what team it is. If the Texans go 0 and 17, I am a winner because I picked the team that's facing them each week. So <laughs> week one, that's the Jacksonville Jaguars. 
And the Jaguars defense is essentially like no one's looking at the Jaguars defense. So pick the Jaguars defense up in the second to last round. If you really want Harrison Butker or Justin Tucker, you can get the Jags defense in the last round. I'll allow you to do that. Um, and then the situation where I'm taking two defenses is the Browns too, because they face the Texans in week two. So Jags Browns start the Jags in week one after week one, drop the Jags, take who is take, who is playing the Texans in week three, start the Browns and then so on and so forth for the rest of the year. And you will have a solid defensive strategy. Uh, definitely Houston is going to be the laughing stock in the NFL. I'll tell you that regardless of fantasy or not, obviously they've got their problems. Um, but last question here, TJ, before we sign off here, just give me your ultimate fantasy strategy. Just give me the one thing that you want every GM commissioner of their own team. What's the one thing that they have to do in order to succeed? Absolutely, brother. I appreciate that question. Know your league. Know your league. And I mean it in, this, in, in multiple aspects. Know your league's scoring settings. Never go into a draft without knowing exactly which accomplishments are worth which points. So don't go into a draft thinking it's a standard league, but really it's a six point QB touchdown league, right? Cause then, then Mahomes flies up the board. Then maybe you're looking at Mahomes in the second round, things like that. Uh, don't go into your league, assuming it's a PPR. You look, whoops, it's not a PPR. And you drafted Austin Eckler in the first round, you know, may, know your league, know your league settings. That's number one, know your league opponents. That's number two. I'm playing in a league with diehard Patriots fans. I know Patriots players are probably going to go higher off the board. I know mm -hmm. players who the Patriots fans don't like are probably going to plummet a little bit. Know your league, know who they prioritize, and know what's going to happen. And also know the habits of your opponents, right? If you're in a kind of a casual league, people are probably going to take quarterbacks early great. Good for you. Be totally cool with waiting till the end of the draft for your quarterback and enjoy those flexes falling to you. Enjoy those good running backs and receivers falling to you. Um, and lastly, just have fun. Fantasy football is about fun. Know your league if when, you know, to win obviously, but like I said in the beginning, coming full circle, football is a game we love. Share the joy, have fun, um, talk trash to your league mates. Uh, it, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, I can definitely tell you on that Patriots standpoint, I will never select a New York Jet unless I absolutely have to. Regardless of how good they are, I will never select a Jet. And I actually do know someone in my recent draft who selected uh, Rob Gronkowski in the fifth round when he probably should have been like a seventh round guy. Um, but that's a, that's a story for another time. Uh, TJ Horgan, thank you very much for joining us. Um, before we go, do you just have anything you want to plug or anything you want to share with listeners? Uh, follow me on Twitter at TJ Horgan TV, fantasy football, Madden content. And uh, I'm the president of the Algae Crumpler fan club. So if you're interested in Algae Crumpler, shoot me a follow <laughs> on Twitter and Instagram. Of course, who doesn't love Algae Crumpler? Once again, TJ Horgan, thank you very much for joining us on our fantasy football segment. And we hope that this conversation here will help you succeed in your fantasy football league. thanks again to tj horgan for joining us for a special fantasy football segment and now we move on to our let's get local segment of the week and of course the story dominating not only the boston headlines but 
headlines all throughout the NFL was the quarterback decision made by Bill Belichick. And he made a shocker. The shocking move was that Mac Jones is named the starter while Cam Newton gets released. Now, to dive into this story, ultimately, I'm just shocked. I'm so surprised. Not not necessarily because of Mac Jones' play, because I think he's played great. I just thought it was a little too early to really put it in his hands so quick. And I would have thought that Cam Newton would have stayed on the team, regardless of if he was the starter or not. But, I mean, part of it is respect to Newton, because, you know, he has fallen off from his MVP days. But, but he could still be an effective quarterback. I still think he can just by his mobility and all that. He might not be able to get passes down the field, but, you know, it is respect by Bill Belichick saying, listen, we think you're still a great player, just not the starter for this team. So we don't want to force you into a backup role that you might not accept. So I think that's, that's kind of a respect move to Newton by just letting him try and go be a starter or get something new with another team. But what's just interesting is that all indications that you've heard throughout OTAs, training camps, preseason, was that Jones was not going to be the week one starter. You didn't get any indication about that at all. I think part of it was just they were so surprised, the Patriots organization was, about how quick of a jump that Mac Jones made as... A quarterback, you know, did they think when they first drafted him he was going to be ready right away? Absolutely not. I didn't think he was going to be ready. I was riding the bus on Cam Newton being the starter. I was ready to come here on Thursday and say, listen, this is why Bill Belichick named Cam Newton the starter. Because I was riding that for about a month or so. But now to not even see him on the roster, that is just absolutely shocking. And they're clearly looking at a way that the future is now. The future is now for this Patriots team because if they were to sell out maybe for another year, it would have been Newton starting and Jones as the backup. But now the present is the future and the future is the present, if that makes any sense. Because now your backup option is Brian Hoyer, which, which by the way, Brian Hoyer's still on the practice squad. Just keep that in mind. And there's only one active quarterback right now. Stidham's on the PUP. And they just signed Garrett Gilbert to the practice squad. So unless they are making a move where they put like Nikhil Harry on IR and that opens it up for Brian Hoyer to be that backup quarterback, there's going to be no quarterback behind Mac Jones. And I think you need someone behind Mac Jones. I think every team needs a second quarterback behind their first one. Duh. <laughs> but I will say, you know, some Pats fans are intrigued to see what Jones can do. You know, there's not really an alternative. Like I, like I said, you know, the preseason is just sort of an eye-opener. And then when you hit the regular season, that's when it really counts. That's when it really counts. So if Mac Jones continues to struggle, you don't have a plan B. You have to ride him out for the rest of the year. Because while Brian Hoyer's a capable backup, he's not someone you're going to rely on week after week after week. This is only going to be if either Mac Jones is hurt or... If he struggles so much to a point where Hoyer is their bailout option. I mean, I don't see a scenario where that happens at all. But I'm just very intrigued. I'm probably more intrigued now at the Patriots than what I was a few weeks ago. 
because I knew this offense was going to look different because of all the acquisitions they had. They got the two tight end format. They've got a great running back uh, core with Stevenson, Taylor, White, and Harris. And they've got wide receivers. Again, no one's established a number one, so they clearly were going to look different regardless. But now I guess it's Mac Jones's time. It is his time to not only disprove the narrative of Alabama quarterbacks, but to show himself as a capable starter in this league. And let's not let's not jump on the fact that he's going to be Brady 2.0. Let's not do that. It's just his style is the most similar to Brady. You have two different playbooks. Newton, you need the read option in there for about 20% of your plays. Mac Jones, you can go back to your regular playbook that you've been running for 20 years when there was a guy wearing number 12 for that Patriots team. So obviously that's the biggest news is that the Patriots decide on a quarterback they're going with Mac Jones, and we're obviously going to be really discussing what we're going to look for next week before their week one matchup against the Dolphins. But who would have thought at the beginning of training camp that week four, when Tom Brady returns with Tampa Bay, that Mac Jones would be the quarterback? Not me. Not me at all. But of course, we can't overlook the other big move that happened with Stephon Gilmer. He was placed on the PUP list. He's out six weeks, still recovering from that quad surgery. So really that cornerback position is pretty much thin. J.C. Jackson, Jalen Mills, Joe Juan Williams, and Jonathan Jones. I mean, they did trade also for Sean Wade, but he feels kind of more like a special teamer. You know, Belichick loves to make those trades like they did with uh, Justin Bethel not too long ago. But I don't know. I think this is going to be the one weakness that the the Pats have is in their secondary. You know, they've got great safeties. They've got the McCourt. They've got Devin McCourty. They've got Kyle Duggar, Adrian Phillips, all those guys. But the cornerback position, I think, is really going to be test. They're really going to be tested early on. And unless you know J.C. Jackson continues to be a ball hawk against the number one receivers. And Jalen Mills proves everybody wrong. I think this is the weakness. And, you know, I think when you look at the schedule for this Pats team, I think, you know, at least getting two wins, you know, kind of a similar start to last year, like a two and one or a three and one before you play Tom Brady might be, it might be a good, uh, a good record to have. That might be a reasonable expectation for New England to have, but Obviously, just the news of all these roster cuts. I mean, clearly the biggest bombshell in the NFL was the naming of Mac Jones because no one got a semblance that he was going to be the guy. So congrats to Mac Jones, picked 15th in the draft, now the next starting quarterback for the Patriots. But while that's good news in New England, there's bad news at Fenway. And obviously it starts with the Red Sox getting a COVID-19 outbreak at the absolute worst time. Multiple, multiple people have either tested positive or named a close contact. Here are the names. Kike Hernandez, Christian Arroyo, Martin Perez, Matt Barnes, Hiro Saramora, Yaro Munez, and worst of all, Xander Bogarts were all tested positive. All positive for COVID-19. Josh Taylor, another bullpen arm, named a close contact. Now, I got to tell you, it, 
it, it, it sucks. It clearly sucks. You don't want anyone to get sick like this or test positive. But it's the worst time, too. And especially, like, when Bogarts got pulled off the field during that game in Tampa, that scared you a little bit, thinking, when is this thing going to stop? When is this going to get under control? And, you know, these are huge losses. You know, huge losses. Because Bogarts is one of your stability offensive players, along with Kike Hernandez. And then you in the bullpen, Matt Barnes is your closer. And then probably... I'd say the third and be- third and fourth best relievers you've had so far in the year have been Salamora and Matt Barnes, you know, in no such order at all. And then Josh Taylor has been a little, he's been back and forth a lot, but that's an arm you need. So this bullpen has been very thin. It's very thin right now. And, you know, when Bogarts tested positive, or no, I think it was Hernandez who tested positive, they called up Munoz, and then he goes out, so you got to get like your third stringer, essentially, down in Worcester or wherever the minor leagues is going. But, I mean, they were still they still were able to manage a ninth-inning come-from-behind victory last night against Tampa. They got a game on them. Shout-out to the kid Jaron Duran for getting that ninth-inning base hit and getting the Red Sox to win. But, ultimately, it, it's like a nurse-to-the-finish-line kind of thing because this is a very important time for the Red Sox you know after the Tampa series they got at least one they did get one game that's all that some people were looking for I don't think you know as long as they didn't get swept that would have been a win in my book but then you're at home and you're against Cleveland that's a series you should win again similar to what I said in recent weeks they won the series against Texas they won the series against Minnesota won the series against Cleveland those three are very important now the confidence is still kind of back with that Red Sox team. Am I still optimistic? Yes, but I'm not 100% confident. I'm not 100% confident because the A's just came on a run, and now they're only two games back. Only two games back of that second wild card. And with all this outbreak going on and all the names being taken off the field, that's going to hit the Red Sox very, very hard because that means more pressure on J.D. Martinez, more pressure on Devers, Vasquez, Duran, all these guys, Renfro, all these offensive players are going to have to perform that much better on offense with all of these guys out. But I got to say, there's still one month left in the MLB season, like I mentioned earlier. So there's plenty of time for these guys to recover. Maybe the outbreak gets settled down because many MLB teams have done this in the past, in this past year. You know, the Yankees had their outbreak. I believe the Angels, I think it was the Angels who had an outbreak as well. But these teams got it under control. They had like a scary two weeks or so. And then the Yankees got everyone healthy and they're playing well. Maybe the same thing can happen to this Red Sox team. We don't know that for sure. But all we know is that this COVID-19 outbreak for the Sox better get under control and under control fast because they've got a playoff chase. They cannot get behind it. finally to wrap up our show as we always do it's our lol moment of the week and this moment i shouldn't even call it a moment i'm talking moments because this story has not only gotten 
in the sports news. It's gotten major headline news all throughout the world. And it's how ESPN got duped by this quote-unquote school. And I think you all know where I'm going with this. This week's LOL moment of the week goes to... Bishop Sycamore. Now, I'm sure all of you know all about it, but let me just break it down to you like this. This Bishop Sycamore High School had the biggest lie ever told just to get on ESPN because the announcers who were calling a game a few days ago where Bishop Sycamore lost to IMG Academy 58 to nothing, and it was about, I think it was 30 nothing at halftime, 30 to zero at halftime, where the announcers were claiming that they were given information by Bishop Sycamore, but they could not verify it and ultimately said, I think they're lying to us. And here are some of the things that they said. They claimed they had multiple Division I prospects on their roster. Multiple Division I. Well, if they had Division I prospects, they probably would not be losing 58 to nothing. There were rumors that they had played a game two days ago. Two days ago. Football games, you need a week. You need about a week. And so it was all these kind of news where it was like, okay, let's do some research on Bishop Sycamore because this could just be, you know, a one-time thing. But if you do a website search, you, you do a Google search, multiple websites showed no information, not only about the team, but there's no information about the school either. And even some athletes, when you search them, were listed as playing for other schools, playing for other high schools. So we're talking... They probably, they could have had players that were about 19 or 20 years old, okay? Just think about that. And when you also search this school, it was listed according to the Ohio Department of Education. I think it was something like that. They were listed as an online-only charter school. But here's the catch. When you search for its address, it's got a regular post office box. So it's like all their mail goes into a mailbox or something like that. Not like your standard school or something like that. So all of this information just makes you scratch your head and is like, what the heck is going on? And it makes you realize after this headline, head coach Roy Johnson was fired. Why would they fire him? Why wouldn't they fire him? And it just so happened to come around after he was fired that he has an active warrant against him and a civil lawsuit. I mean, I I was just blown away at reading all of this. Like, how does this team get on ESPN? And how does ESPN fall for this? How how do they not verify this kind of information? It is insane. I've never seen anything like this at all. You know, it'd be different if it was like a Monday night football game and it was 58 to nothing between like, I don't know, the Chiefs and the Jaguars or something like that. Two teams clearly polar opposites of each other. But this school, I, I keep using it in quotation marks because I don't even think this is a real school. And I think we're going to get 
some information later on because the Ohio governor, Mike DeWine, has said that there's going to be a state investigation to find out if this is a real school or not. And all throughout the while, Bishop Sycamore is not going to have any more games. They had a couple teams cancel on them. But I'm just, I'm just baffled. I'm baffled at this story. You know, I used to call this our head-scratcher LOL moment of the week. This is the biggest head-scratcher, maybe of all time. You know, I can't wait 10 years from now where a 30-for-30 gets made on this. You know, you have... It's it's insane. I just have no words to explain what the heck is going on with Bishop Sycamore. So, this school and this football team... Because you lied to get yourselves on TV, you've earned yourself into this week's LOL Moment of the Week. So that will do it for this edition of Let Me Speak. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in, whether you're watching us on YouTube or listening to us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Make sure you follow our other pages on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. All you got to do is search Let Me Speak Podcast. And as always, if you've got a point you got to get across, just let the whole world know. Shut up and let me speak.